The world tells us to look deep within ourselves to find our identity and our truth. But there is one who calls us to another way. When Christ comes to heal and save in the gospel, he desires that people no longer find their identity in the sin and chaos of the world or any superficial characteristic that defines people in the world. Instead, he desires that they find their identity in him, that they leave behind the things which have imprisoned them. Furthermore, he desires that people, they move away from themselves and towards God. And that's a big thing that is found there. We can't diminish the fact that it is always moving towards God. It is not just about some cute and fuzzy self-help thing. It is about moving towards the holiness of God. And as the church, we must shed the worldly understanding of identity and embrace the flag of Christ Jesus. It is a flag that came at a great price, and it will guide us to a kingdom with authority beyond anything this world can offer. So thank you for joining me this day. Welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, and we are a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure, and we're produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, but I'm not alone here in the studio. There is one other. I'm Pastor Anthony Alegria. So today, Anthony, when I'm talking about this flag of Christ Jesus, uh, a lot of times we might immediately go to like the Christian flag. Is that kind of what you were thinking when you saw this? And I know you were putting the show prep together and getting everything ready. Yeah, I mean, just based on the title, totally thought that's where we were going. <laughs> but also noting the title card there is not just the Christian flag, because what we're talking about here is much more than that. It's talking about what it means to actually find yourself to be one who is not any superficial characteristic, but you are a child of God that is wearing the flag of Christ Jesus. And by that, we mean that you are truly living out what it means to be a follower of Christ. Because one of the things which is true about the world around us is it wants us to reject the flag of Christ. It wants us to reject the identity of Christ. And one of the ways that tricksters like to do this is they like to take a little piece of the gospel here and there. You know, even forces of wickedness, you look within scripture, they try to twist and contort things. All the way back in the garden, you know, the serpent trying to get Eve to think the fruit is good for food. It's true, but it's not the whole truth. You look even at the devil out in the wilderness. He tries to tempt Jesus and he tries to say, oh, well, don't you just want food? Things of that nature. And it's, it's just ridiculous. The world wants us to find our identity in anything, something. It doesn't really care. You know, it can be something within yourself. It can be a group. It can be what you look like. It can be what your tastes are, as long as it is not Christ Jesus. It doesn't care how many flags we fly or how illogical we pick our friends and we pick our hobbies. A lot of times people make strange relationships with different things in the world that are not really congruent with one another, but the world doesn't care as long as it is not God. When we go to the Ten Commandments, we find that they are structured in a very logical way. A lot of times people who come to it, they say, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm very progressive. I'm very libertarian. I'll concede that things like not, you know, disrespecting your parents, things like not killing someone, you know, not having lust, these things, maybe some sort of objective morality. But those first few, you know, those, those don't really matter unless you're a Christian. But the truth of it is, is these are very logical. And the Ten Commandments are structured in a very logical fashion. Because if people do not have the master of creation at the top of their moral compass, if that is not the first commandment they live by, something else will be that first commandment. They will have something else to fill that void. It's an inevitable truth. Some people call this the God-shaped hole. Some people just have it as the tip of their moral compass. They have something that they measure up the whole world with. They look out in the world and they say, oh, what does this measure up with my moral compass? If so, it's good. If not, it's bad. We look at modern politics and the the west really not just here in america and people say oh well if, if if the wrong party gets elected all of my rights my whole life will disassemble well 
suddenly you're using government as the metric for how you view the world, and that's not what we're called to do. Another thing which really creeps in on people is one of the greatest idols of all, and that is that of identity. How do I identify? What do I identify as? And that becomes the new metric for good and bad, good and evil. And the church must reject this notion full sail. For we know that the only righteous way to structure our lives is to realize that we are creatures created in the image of God. And it is the faithfulness of Christ Jesus that elevates us to holiness. Now we're going to get into some scripture today, and I, I hope you can follow along with this. We're going to be going to Matthew 9. So if you'd like to find a Bible and open up to that, we'll be in the first few verses. But Anthony, before you start reading, I know you were, you had some thoughts you wanted to add there on identity as an idol. Uh, not exactly. I was just sort of indicating that I could read. But um, it is a terrible tragedy. And a lot of people are really, really committed to the idea of identifying with either their desires or with the circumstances of their birth and things like that. And this can be two different ways. This can be, you know, I am more powerful because of the desires I have and because of the circumstances of my birth. You know, I was born into a great family or whatever else. Or this can also be, um, you know, I am inherently some sort of victim who deserves things because yeah. of my desires and because of the circumstances of my birth. And so this really goes both ways into sort of a um, someone who's a bit of a, an abusive challenger, a dictator, and someone who is a, a sort of predator who preys on uh, virtue and yeah. things like that. And so um, that people identify more so with their body and with their desires than with their character, I think is a huge mistake. Well, yeah, and that's the thing is it does go both ways. A lot of times people say, well, I'm not, I'm not saying that it's explicitly superior. I'm not doing that. I'm just saying they're, they were born in bad circumstances. They were born without privilege. But the thing is, ladies and gentlemen, the gospel tells us do not play this game. It comes to us, the gospel message of Christ Jesus is do not play this game. You know, Paul writes to us, there's no male, female, free, slave, Jew, Gentile. He doesn't say that because they don't exist. He says because you have found your identity in Christ Jesus. And the problem is if people are attaching morality to what people look like, they're an idolater. It, it's basically that. And I hate to be so blunt to say it, and it's a problem within the church. You have people that come in and they, they look at the world and they, they don't see souls and they don't see that everyone is, is born into the inherited state of sin. It doesn't matter if the person next to you looks like your identical twin or they look like the closest living relative or the closest le relative in your ancestry is Noah. You know, if they look that different from you, it doesn't matter. The purpose of the gospel is to re re reunite people with God. It's not to play these petty little games. And let's actually get into our scripture and we'll talk about some of this today. So Anthony, would you begin in Matthew 9, 1 through 8? And after getting to the boat, he crossed the sea and came to his own town. And just then some people were carrying a paralyzed man lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Then some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, perceiving their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, stand up, take your bed, and go to your home. 
And he stood up and went to his home. When the crowd saw it, they were filled with awe, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to human beings. These few lines in the Gospel according to St. Matthew, they contain just a few ideas, yet they are so elegant and they are so complex that they show us really the full spectrum of the human condition. Because this is how humanity responds to the ministry of Christ Jesus. God has arrived on the scene, and this is literally God in the flesh, to liberate people from the consequences of sin and fallen creation, and yet he is rejected by the very people who should have been the most responsive to the holy truths of God. Again, what we see happening here is there are scribes, they're religious leaders, they should be very sensitive, they should have their radios finely tuned so that they can pick up any signal of holiness, but yet they're the people who miss it the most. The first verse in this chapter is very important. It reminds us that Jesus came to minister in his own territory. He should not be considered a stranger here, and nor should he receive any sort of inhospitable treatment. Yet the very people who should have known him are the ones who do not. And when we examine the gospel as a whole, we find an overwhelming truth that it is the dubious ones and the various demons that are the first to confess and comprehend that Jesus is actually the begotten Son of God. Logically, one might expect the various Jewish leaders to have their, again, their radios tuned to this, their frequencies honed in on it, but they miss it. What we do see happening is people who you would unexpect to be seen at the feet of Jesus. They come, Jesus welcomes them, and they have some idea. You find statements like, I believe, help my unbelief. You find even like the friends of the paralytic man. They know that there's something going on here. They don't really comprehend it yet. The ones who are the first to truly comprehend that he is the Son of God are the demons. Most of those who come to Jesus, they say something like Son of David, as we find here in these these texts that we're going to be reading today. They they don't recognize that he truly is the the Son of God. They think of him more as the, the Son of David. And the fully human side of Jesus, when we look at these first few verses that we're going to read today, it's interesting that in his hometown, Jesus is not recognized. That's the fully human side. But when we look to the fully God side of Jesus, we realize that he's not recognized by creation the way that he should have been. Jesus is not recognized in his own territory, his own jurisdiction. And that really is a very sad thing. The flag of Christ Jesus, it was not recognized by those who it came for. They didn't really comprehend it. They didn't understand it. And that, nonetheless, Jesus came for them anyway. And even though a few kind of understood something was going on, Jesus was unwavered in his faithfulness to his ministry and to those whom he loved. So, Anthony, would you pick up now in 9, 27 through 34? We're going to slip a little bit further down. And again, notice how it is the name Son of David that they refer to him as. And if you go back to chapter 8, you'll find the demon saying things like Son of God. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, crying out loudly, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to him, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their eyes were opened. Then Jesus sternly ordered them, See that no one knows of this. But they went away and spread the news about him throughout that district. After they had gone away, a demoniac, who was mute, was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the one who had been mute spoke, and the crowds were amazed and said, Never has anything like this been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, By the ruler of the demons, he has cast out the demons. 
The world, it wants us to find our identity in something superficial. It doesn't really care what it is as long as we don't spend too much time figuring out that we are children of God. It wants us to look in the immediate circumstances and say, well, this is what I look like, this is my skin. Or they want us to say things like, oh, this is where I was born or the circumstances that I was born in. But it doesn't want us to spend enough time thinking about this and going down the logical Socratic method of asking questions that take us to a deep discovery that we are formed in the image of God. While we may look like we look, truly our image is shaped after that of God and we were born in His creation. We are children and creatures creeping along in His jurisdiction. Sin is often irrational and it wants us to feel as if we are smart and rational. It wants us to think that we're thinking for ourselves, but we really are just saying whatever the spirit of the age wants us to think. One of the things that we have going on in the world around us is that there are a lot of people who say, oh, well, I'm, I'm smart, you know, I'm doing all these wonderful things, but yet they sound not like they're open-minded. They don't sound like they're doing anything which is free thinking because they sound exactly like the loudest voices in society. So that's always a great irony when people think they're being new or unique or they're having progress in the range of intellect, but they sound exactly like everything around them. But the spirit of the age is very powerful. It wants people to hold on to the miserable things in life. When we find these scriptures, and today we read one about a paralytic man. He's healed, healed from terrible sufferings. We find mute, we find people blind, healed from terrible suffering. We find people possessed by demons, healed from terrible sufferings. Last time we were, we were on doing a Bible study, we were looking at Matthew 8, where there are people who literally prefer to have demoniacs. In other words, people possessed by demons, then they prefer the holiness of God. It's more socially acceptable to have demoniacs on the outside of society than to have people transformed by the grace and mercy of Christ Jesus. People don't really want the justice of God. They want their own justice, whatever form that may take. They want to be the ones who pick and choose. They want to attach moral values to, oh, this group over here, they're so grieved and I'm arrogant enough that I'm going to play God and I'm going to, to fix that. But the scriptures tell us not to do this. You've got to let things go. And the church needs to learn to move people towards the holiness of God and to let the sins of the past go, to let even the sins of the present go. And that's a difficult thing to do. In the various scriptures that we've read today, Jesus is forgiving sins while he is healing people from terrible sufferings. We have to remember that God is the ultimate parent, and he does not want us to go through life identified with the wretched curse of fallen creation. Imagine how terrible it would be if the man who is paralyzed, he gets up and says, well, Jesus healed me, but my identity is being, being a paralytic. This is my story. This is what my life is. And he spends the rest of his life laying on a bed so he can tell his story. Wouldn't that be terrible? Or imagine if the, the mute and the blind, they went and gouged their eyes out and cut their tongues off because that was their story. That's who they were. You know, I'm going to add a, a little bit of a radical interpretation of how Jesus, he, he kind of does things and tells people not to go and really speak too much about it. You find that typically happens when there's a healing of something like this. I think one of the reasons why Jesus does what he does is he doesn't want people to hold on to those wretched curses. You know, be done with being a mute. Go, and when we find other people like the, the leper, you know, go, go to the, the priest, go do the rituals and get on with your life. Let this be behind you. You know, don't tell anyone about it. Be, be done with it. Be a, new, be a new man. Be a new woman. Be free. Be liberated from the horrible curse. And we've got to remember, from the perspective of God, when he watched his creatures there in the garden, and if you've ever 
watch someone you love do something you knew was terrible to them. It's a very painful thing. I, I don't have any children. I can only imagine as a parent to watch your children take on such a, a wretched curse or to do something which, which harmed themselves. To watch Adam and Eve take of that sin and do something that would corrupt all the generations after them. The pain that a parent must have seen to watch that. To know that their children were just poisoned with death and nothing could be done to undo that. And so it came at a great cost. The reconciliation, it came at a great cost and a new way was done. God didn't reverse time and take that back out. The only salvation that could ultimately come, come at a great cost. That was the only way that you could overcome it. You could not just erase it. You had to overcome it and cleanse it. And I know that gets a bit hairy in semantics and language, and people usually get all mad about that sort of thing. But the truth of it is, is God did not erase time. God sent his son so that we could be cleansed. He did not want us to live life saying, well, I, I cut my tongue out because I couldn't let it go. I, I gouged my eyes out. I, I just couldn't let being blind go. You know, I, I, I didn't want to let being a leopard go. So after, after I was cleansed of it, I went and scorched myself in fire so that my skin would still look bad because that's my identity. Christ Jesus doesn't want people to do this. He wants people to be liberated. Anthony, do you have any thoughts on that? I know you had been the one who preached on the, the leper a few weeks ago. Yeah, um, I think definitely people would rather be the lepers who follow according to the law as they have interpreted it and you know shout at Jesus, unclean, unclean, for fear that they would corrupt him, rather than be the leper who came to Jesus in faith and asked him and said, Lord, if you will, you can cleanse me. And so, according to his faith, he also was cleansed. Um, I've been reading something re recently by Thomas Long. I forget the title of the book. But in it, he communicates sort of this idea that there's two philosophies in preaching and also, you could say, Christianity. Um, not only two, but these are two that he emphasized for a moment. And it was that this question of whether we were supposed to find our stories in the Bible or make the Bible our story. And as you were saying earlier, there are those people who are in the world today in need of cleansing and reconciliation, or even who have been cleansed and reconciled, who instead have decided to remain in the story of the blind man rather than partake and give testimony to the story of Christ, which is one of healing and redemption. You know, for people in the church, there are a lot of people who want to play the game of identity politics. And in doing this, they're not only rejecting 2,000 years of Christian orthodoxy and kind of taking a narcissistic perspective that we know more, we're going to be the ones to come and fix the problem, but they're also disrespecting their God by staying in prisons, which God liberated them from. And they're keeping others in prisons, which God wanted to liberate them from. God did not want the paralyzed man to rest on a bed for the rest of his life. He didn't want the paralyzed man to, to get out and tell everyone, oh, I'm, I'm paralyzed, woe is me. Jesus wanted him to get up and walk, to get up and walk, the blind and mute, go out and live your life. And you know, that's not easy because you've lived your whole life blind and mute, you know, going to, to be freed of that. It's one huge task to start life again, but that's what God wants for us. God desires that we find liberty in him. And one of the great problems, and you know what, I've already basically gone here today, in the church, there are people who are sympathetic to this. Anthony mentioned earlier this idea that it doesn't always look like saying one group is superior to another. Sometimes it flips around and says one group is inferior. And we should feel grieved by, by different things. Anytime you're attaching moral value to what 
groups are, you have missed the mark. Um, that, that is sin. That is not what the gospel teaches us to do. And we find people who, I mean, it's found even in the name of their programs, they don't want God's justice. They want some other version of justice. And we in the church, we need to root this stuff out. This idea that some people, they have been uniquely deprived of the quality of life, you know, you're never going to find happiness staying there. The only happiness and joy that people can have is to be liberated from it. And the people who want to be the puppet masters and hold on to this stuff to, to, to keep rehashing, oh, but you were once mute, you were once blind, please, you, you, you want to stay there. That's the thing you want to do. It needs to just be moved beyond. The, the gospel doesn't tell us to play these games. It tells us to, to be liberated from them and move on. You know, this idea that some people, they've experienced something that no one else has. This is the whole idea of your truth. It's very popular in our modern day and age. The idea, well, you know, that person over there, they were born in much less fortunate circumstances than I was. Therefore, they have some unique authority and I have to bow down and listen to what they have to say because that's the only way we can fix their grievance. This is the heresy of Gnosticism. This is not new. People have been thinking about this for thousands of years, and it's one of the reasons why Christ Jesus came to die on the cross, so people would stop thinking this way. Just because someone has been a victim of something doesn't mean they know how to solve the problem. And many times, people who are victims of stuff, they, they, they live their life in decay. It corrupts them. It, it's terrible. It's, it puts them under the place of a wicked curse. The liberty they have in that is not just having everyone bow down to them. The liberty they have in that is being born again into a new creature that can be freed of it. You know, let the leprosy go. Let the blindness go. Having a new liberty in Christ Jesus, that is the way that people are liberated by it, not by just having other people bow down to it. That's ridiculous. That's insane. There's so many people in the church who come in and say, well, what does your church look like? Are you doing this, this, or that? You know, if your questions are what do people look like, not the quality of, of the ministry, not the, the con concern of souls, then things have gone really, really awry. When the Apostle Paul writes to people, he doesn't say, you know, spend a lot of time, make sure everything is nicely mixed and matched and everything looks like a nice collage or kaleidoscope in there. doesn't matter. doesn't matter if the person next to you looks like your identical twin or the closest relative you'll have is Noah. It doesn't matter. The question is, are you children of God, born again, coming close to him? Now, that being said, there are rational times where we say, well, there's a group of people over there that haven't been ministered to and we need to go minister to them. And there are times where people have said in the church, you know, we don't want those people here, and those things need to be eradicated. Anytime people are, are doing something which is explicitly sin, like purposefully keeping people out, then yeah, that's a problem. But I don't see that happening in the modern age as much as I see people wanting to play games and say, we know more than the Apostle Paul. We know more than Christ Jesus himself. We're going to play games that we were told not to, and we're going to find our identity not in Christ. We're going to find it in who we are, what we look like, how we feel. And it is absolutely ridiculous. So one of the reasons why we have this message today, and I wanted us to look at these people in the gospel, is Jesus comes to them and he wants to liberate them. He wants them to find their identity in the flag of Christ Jesus. And I use the word flag as more of a symbol. It's a metaphor. He wants them to be marked by him. He doesn't want them to be marked by their past, their story. He wants them to have a new life. And this is something which every individual on this planet needs. Because the truth is, though, our circumstances are certainly different that we're born into. Some of them do appear to be much more, more pleasurable than others. Some of them are just objectively horrible circumstances that people are born into where there's no easy answer to where they're at. You look back in the Old Testament, you see Hagar and Ishmael. If someone came to them and said, Hagar, who is your husband? Ishmael, who is your father? There's no good answer to that. 
You know, Abraham and Sarah, sin corrupted that one pretty bad. But the truth of it is, is God still wants them to, to live for him. He still wants them to have life. He wants them to have joy. And that can only be found if they move towards God, if God comes and it dwells in their life. You know, without that, Hagar and Ishmael, they just die in the wilderness. But God wants to liberate them from the death of the world. Wearing the flag of Christ Jesus means that when we actually reject the popular things of the world around us, that evil is going to come after us. In Matthew 8, it is the demons who come running out of the caves to confront Jesus. They come out screaming like toddlers. It is the demons who know that Jesus truly is the Son of God, not just the Son of David. And when we wear the flag of Christ Jesus, the forces of the world who oppose God, they will come after us. And even the demonic forces, they come after us. And therefore, we must stand firm in our convictions. Because God desires that we have liberty, and every single person who has ever lived needs the liberty that God has. They don't need all this other stuff. They don't need the world's you know, toy and saying, well, well, we'll come and we'll be the puppet masters and we'll figure out how to make your life good. Nobody, is, nobody but, but Christ Jesus was ever a fully human, fully God, uh, one to walk the face of the earth. We are not God. We are his children. We are his creatures. And we are called to be ambassadors of his gospel. And even when the world calls us names and accuses us of the very things that it does, because, again, you look at evil, a lot of times evil forces, they do name-calling. Name-calling is one of the favorite thing of evil. And oftentimes they call people the names that they're guilty of. So, just whatever, deal with it. But this means we don't waver in our convictions. We must be firm. We must carry the flag of Christ Jesus always. Any final thoughts, Anthony, before we close? Nope. Probably going to be some people mad over this message, <laughs> but whatever. We do hope that you enjoyed this. And if you want to talk with us about anything, um, please reach out to us. If you need prayer, if you have anything in your life, if you are looking to find that liberty in Christ Jesus, please reach out to us. We'd love to come meet with you and talk with you personally. And with all that, God love you and have a blessed day.